0: This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day to day, how they got there and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And
1: I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge, and we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Young Professionals podcast. It's Luke and Sarge
1: here. Sarge, who are we speaking with today? Today, we are speaking with Nicholas Parnay. Nicholas is a qualified carpenter, working mainly on residential buildings in Melbourne's inner southeastern suburbs. Nicholas's pathway to becoming a carpenter is a little bit different from others. After finishing school, he began, stu- began studying a journalism degree at Swinburne University. Nicholas then deferred from journalism during his first year and decided to work for his older brother's landscaping business to explore an interest he had always had, working with his hands. Soon after, Nicholas enrolled in a pre-apprenticeship course for carpentry at Holmes Glen Tafe and worked for Ben Duffy at Focus Construction. Nicholas then moved on to another outfit with Dick Reynolds to gain more specialized experience and progress towards completing his apprenticeship. Once qualified, Nicholas completed a Certificate Four in Building and Construction at the Master Builders Association of Victoria Further developing his knowledge in the field and preparing to one day become a registered builder. Nicholas, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me. It's a um, very good rap.
1: Oh, thanks, mate. It's pretty easy when when you've when you've done as much as you have to uh, to give someone a rap like that. So yeah, it's good to have you here, Thank mate. Me. So <laughs> you're you're a carpenter. Um, bit of a silly question. What does a carpenter actually
3: do?
2: Not a silly question at all. It's like a a good. Um, got an array of carpentry jobs um, so myself being on a domestic carpenter uh, specializing kind of in architectural builds we do all our frame lock up and fix um, and that's a really a traditional carpenter's role so if you work primarily for a carpenter that's what you'll do you become really good at carpentry itself um, in my personal situation I work for a builder so, we're first on a job site, a blank slate, a pile of dirt, um, and I'll be there uh, doing laser levels with the excavator drivers, digging footings, um, site set out, uh, things like that, uh, up until assisting concreters with steel fixing, to uh, pour day being at the pour if it's necessary, if it's required, um, and then all the way through to Literally putting the latch on the front gate, which could come a month even after the person's
1: moved in. So, uh,
2: yeah, that's it, really.
1: It's a, it's a real end to end service.
2: Yeah, that's it. Um, carpenters generally are first to come, last to leave on most most jobs, but builders, especially, are, are genuinely first to come, last to leave. And the process for a builder in organising a job before it even gets not even off the ground. I was going to say before you can even put your temporary fencing up is uh is a very long process. Uh, um, a lot of the time the clients dismay, um, but these things just take time to prepare and um, getting uh, all your ducks in a row basically before a job is able to start is uh, quite a lengthy process.
1: And so you, you mentioned builders there too. Um, What's the difference between a builder and a carpenter?
2: So um, a builder, I'll say this is my favourite phrase, a carpenter makes thousands and a builder makes millions. And um, the builder oversees the whole project from start to finish. So they will liaise with all trades. They will uh, do site inductions if necessary, uh, or if they have middle management to take care of those things, they will organise those kinds of things as well. Um, they're the ones that will put up organize the temporary fencing all the way through to uh site safety um, and organizing basically every single trade in order for the job to be completed in the best possible way um, and that even includes uh often meetings with clients architects um, and who else was I going to say our surveyors uh and that kind of thing. And inspectors who uh, can very quickly become your best friend or your worst enemy uh, for the duration of some jobs. Cause some of them take, some new builds we do take two years, and you have the same inspector for the whole two years. And if you get up on the wrong foot early, then it sometimes can be very frustrating. Um, adversely, carpenters, um, they work directly for a carpenter or directly for the builder and only undertake the carpentry jobs Involved, which, as I mentioned earlier, will be rock up to the concrete slab and knock up the frame for you. They'll then go away from the job. The roof will get put on. Um, And then depending on what is being put on the walls of the house on the outside, if it's bricks, obviously, you get to wait a bit longer and go to another job. Or if it's weatherboards, you'll go and do them and then you'll move inside and do the lock-up, which is straightening walls, Uh, building all different kinds of, you know, lowering ceilings, building bulkheads, Um, probably a lot of Fagazi people that may be listening, Um, but um, that kind of thing. And then we'll leave again. Another trade comes in. We'll do the plastering uh, before that. Sorry, the plumbing can all go in and that kind of stuff, and you're kind of just out of everyone's way. And then the fix begins, and that's all your your finishing timbers and all that kind of stuff. Um, doors and that kind of stuff too. And um, that's really the role of a carpenter. And then obviously once jobs completed, um, fences, um, random things like that. But that it gets broadened a lot when you work for a builder because you assist in boxing up, paving slabs and stuff, like simple carpentry things. Builders will do that. So I do a lot of that stuff too.
1: So Nicholas, it sounds like um being being a carpenter's there's much more to it than just a, a nail and a hammer um, How many jobs would you be uh, attending or how many work sites would you be working across um, in a in a given week
2: um, in a given week it varies significantly um, uh, my boss specifically uh, dick has um, more often than not four to five jobs going at one time um, so he kind of builds pretty aggressively for a small builder with only six carpenters underneath him. Um, <clears throat> so it varies. We try our best. Sometimes it's near impossible um, to have jobs roll over into each other. So you're always busy, if you know what I mean. So you'll go and put a frame up while you're waiting for something else to happen. You can go and put the next frame up, then go back, begin the lockup or external lockup. Then you know what I mean? So you kind of, co well, coordinate, sorry, every trade as best you can on each job.
1: You've really got to be able to um coordinate your your workforce as a builder so you can maximize um what you're doing.
2: That's that's what I'm gonna say. That's what I'm gonna say. The um so using all the same trades for every job really works that way. So my boss has like one concreter, and he was up his concrete and say you've got to start Johnson Street, then Stewart Street, then this street And you've got the same plumber to go to all those different jobs as well, which is also really good because if you can provide them with enough work, you become their only source of work. So it's much easier for them as well. They're just like, oh, well, he's going to give me work for the next three years. I don't have to worry about using other trades, sending other invoices, you know, chasing up other builders' money, that kind of stuff. But in answer to your question, more often than not, it could be two to three jobs a week, um, kind of hopping between. So right now I'm going between Coburg and North Melbourne, a fair bit, Um, they're for the same architect as well. So same as like us using the same trades, architects, if you're good, will use the same builder on more of their jobs because you just work well together and there's just a lot of cohesion and there's no uh, confusion about how they want things done. So it's the best way to do it in my humble.
0: Pane it sounds like uh oh, sorry and, and a bit of context we know each other from from when we were quite young so if I slip in pane there that, that that's uh that's what we call Nicholas normally um but it sounds like from just that description that working in i think any trade say on residential or commercial uh builds you're obviously working with five or six other trades on on one building site at any one time i can imagine that things like skills like communication time management um being proactive in communicating what you're doing and things like that are, are quite essential to making things flow properly um interested to, to hear did that always come nat- naturally to you uh, is that is that something that that has you've needed to, to work on um and, and if so how have you gone about that um i don't
2: know time management for me <laughs> shit i want to say you know i'm so good at time management back at school and compartmentalizing and all that, but really I wasn't at all good at those things. Um, uh, I'm very unorganized and you learn very quickly. Uh, and I'm in a lucky position my boss, which is something I agree with. You learn quickly when you just get thrown into defense. Um, so I, that kind of happened when I became qualified and he realized that maybe my skills were up to scratch and he could trust me more and leave me on job sites. He says, the plumber's coming, the scaffold is coming, blah, blah, blah. Like, he knows he can leave me there now to organise these different things. Um, in terms of time management, I'm a massive advocate for don't tell someone you are going to be quicker than you can be. Like, there are times when you might say to your boss, oh, it's only going to take me half an hour, don't worry about it. and and my boss, in all honesty, he couldn't give how long it's going to take you. He only wants to know so that then he can organize the next person to come or that he can send you to another job, whatever it may be. If that something ends up taking you three hours instead of half an hour, then he's going, well, what the hell is going on? Just be really realistic, know, know your limits That and that's it. The communication thing is massive, 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 massive. And uh, my boss is very old school and really he's only just started video calls and I'm there going, why haven't we done these for the past three years? Like you wouldn't have to come to job sites if all I had to do was hold my phone up to a frame and say, this is how I'm supposed to build this just to confirm the architect's drawings are a bit ambiguous.
1: Oh, it's great that technology is permeating through the, the the building industry more broadly. Like I think mm-hmm. um, Luke and I hear a lot about technology and um, digitizing your core is is one that I hear a lot, um, as cringe as that is, and it's it's cool to see that it's not just in the corporate space that technology is being used to um, help drive efficiencies.
2: yeah, well there's a lot of um so but in there's a lot of um different building programs and platforms now to use for builders um, to organize trades where it makes quoting a house like Apparently, fifty to a hundred times quicker. Like, mm. you do not have to sit there with a pen and paper. You just drag and drop your mouse wherever you want, and and done in literally half the time. You don't but use my, a my,
1: builders' my, tile my, and pencil. No, no, not
2: <laughs> any. <anybody. laughs> like, the scale ruler gets thrown around every now and then, but that's about it. There's um, not much else. But a lot of other builders, younger builders, something I plan to adopt when I become a builder uh will be these uh programs. Uh there's one called Build Exact or something like that. And it's like immediate uh delivery of information to all of your trades. As soon as a client makes a change to their mind, just mm-hmm. you put it through on the computer, they and every trade will get an alert saying there's been an amendment to the uh previous drawings. These are the new drawings, Make sure you refer to these when you go to yeah, you know, do whatever job you're doing at the job site. So I, it's
0: just I, much I think, easier. Yeah, for for people that like you know sitting in a whatever commerce degree or at, or at school and and doing group assignments and whatnot. If, if you work if you're used to working in say Google Google Docs and you can get five people on the same document all the time, that sounds like a no brainer. But it, it certainly um, seems that in the building industry or any trade really, like it, it does depend on all of those different. Uh, moving parts, being able to talk and communicate with each other at the same time. So from from what you're saying, it's cool that there is so much innovation going on. and, And from that, I would hazard a guess that coming into the industry now as a junior person or a younger person, there is a lot of opportunity to embrace those efficiencies and kind of put your own stamp on no we're going to do something different and it's going to be or we're going to do it differently rather um, and that's an exciting prospect i think for, for anyone that's coming through into any in- industry if you can look at something that's been done that way for 50 years and think oh actually i can do mm. this better or i can do mm. this in a quicker way then then that's exciting and that's fun so Definitely. i would say yeah
2: that's i'm awesome. a big believer in um, being able to evolve with new practices especially with buildings because there are a lot of smart engineers out there that are bringing out different ways to do things in a much quicker manner. And old school builders will be like, no, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't do it like that. That's, they don't build it like they used to and all this, all this serious, and genuine, just jargon. Of, mm. When in actual fact, if it's, if it's signed off by engineers and you know that it's going to execute a job that's good enough to withstand you know, mother nature and people and, you know, inhabitants for 20 years or 50 years or a hundred years, like you should quickly adapt to your surroundings, yeah. I guess. You, and You, you should you, trust it.
1: And that, yeah, that's something 100%. that you, you touched on before in terms of your boss, Dick, trusting you with managing work sites and the different stakeholders that come through there. I think it's, it's the same with that technology. Like we should, as you said, if the engineers have signed off on it, we should trust it. And, let it, let it help us drive efficiencies.
2: Yeah, 100%. And then as well as what Luke was saying before, the younger people coming in and using the technology to their advantage is going to be a huge asset for them because I, I think I'm slow on a phone compared to my girlfriend. She's only three years younger than me. And then there's kids that are going to come in and just be like, oh, I can do that. Whatever you want in terms of looking at pictures or this and that so quickly. Um, so I think the older style builders need to adapt to that because as much as they, I think a lot of builders are extremely stubborn, so <laughs> they can quickly um, realize its benefits.
3: Yeah. I
0: th- yeah. I, th- I think that's great. And and as I said before, like massive opportunity for, for young kids coming through to put their stamp on something and, and embrace new innovations, which is really exciting. Um, mate, taking a bit of a, of a left turn, we'll kind of go back to the start and put you, put yourself back in um, your shoes when you're in, say, Year 11 and Year 12. Um, we touched on it in, in your bio that you started a, a journalism degree when you finished uni, I think it was at um and then eventually got into where you are now, which we can dive into. But why don't you run us through what you were interested in Year 12 and, and what kind of drove the decisions to go down the the uni path as opposed to the pre-apprenticeship and, and get into carpentry and as and, and be, uh, be as transparent as you like because I think um, mm. the, this, this narrative that, you know, you have to go into university to be successful and get into business and, and whatnot, that that's the only path in there is, you know, not, not relevant for some people and, and it can be quite um, constraining. So keen to hear your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, well, um, I'll go back one year earlier to year 10 when we did uh, work experience and um, I um, really, really looked up to my godfather's Jack um who has been a solicitor forever and is now uh, a magistrate and I just thought, oh, man, this guy he's just got it sorted. Um I wanna be a lawyer. So he, he hooked me up with um Rob Starry, who's one of uh, Melbourne's best criminal lawyers who support you know, who's represented the whole underworld and and he I was like, Yeah, this is gonna be great. And a week of that, I was like, this is shit. Like, <laughs> I fell asleep. I fell asleep in a committal hearing with Tony Mockbelt in it. And and kids would, kids at the time of my age, probably like yourself Luke, would, would be like, this is sick, edge of feet kind of stuff. But I was like, dude, it is way too hot in here. And I, <laughs> I'm about to pass out, which I did. Um, so that was... That actually I thought was a failure because I kind of thought I wanted, but it was actually a good thing that I went and did that. Like, because then well, it You, made you me get to learn
1: from that experience.
2: 100%. It made me realize, like, these guys, I don't want to say work really hard and I don't want to do that because now I just work hard in a different sense. But, like, at you, to me, it just seemed very mundane. Like, I was like, well, this first year or second year uh, lawyer, he just sit there, like reading into, uh, you know, talking into his dictaphone. Is it called? Yes. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> non, non, whatever it is, um, non stop, and and I, I, didn't love it. I didn't. And I thought, well, this isn't any thing. I don't think anything I want to do. And then um, going through year eleven and twelve, um, I feel like pressures are put strongly on you. Sad to say this, depending on what school you go to, really. Um, when really the curriculum, they should all just follow the same. I know they follow the same, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The
0: the guidelines broad, broad guide- yeah,
2: guidelines.
1: guidelines yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the way things are taught and drilled into you went to a, what did I go to? It's a semi-private school, um, in Melbourne. Um, and I'd sit there in year 11 and, every teacher at parent-teacher interviews is saying, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You know, what do you want to do when you leave school? Cause that's going to, that, that is going to, you know, there. that's what, that's um, what's going to affect your choices on what um, subjects you're going to do in year 11 and 12. And I'm there going, oh, I don't really know what I want to do. And, and you
1: just knew you didn't want to be a lawyer at that stage.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, I'm one professional off out of like 60,000. Like, <laughs> yeah. Could be any number of things. I don't know. Um, and so that was that was kind of frustrating at the time. And I'd look at like sit down with my parents at the dinner table, and they're like, oh, "Do you know what we want to do?" I'd be like, no. And it didn't phase them, so it didn't phase me. Um, so then my thought process was, okay, just do the subjects you think are going to be easiest for you. Not you know. Not in, easy in what subject. sense to
0: get a to get a good score? Because that's yeah. what everyone told you had to do. That
2: yeah yeah. And it was more, mum would always say, it's not the be all and end all. But if you just get a good enough score, all you need to do is give yourself options. So it's not about it being the be all and end all. Just do as best you can. If you do the best you can, then I I can't knock you. So, you know, that kind of thing. But we'd sit at assemblies and... We'd hear the headmaster say the all-important ATAR score and this and that and just go on and on and on about this ATAR score and how our life would be not worth living if, if we didn't get a good score. Um, and my mum would just – my mum's been a teacher. been in the field for 30 years, I feel, on and off, obviously, for children or whatever, and bump me on a leg and say, don't listen to this. Like, like, just do not listen to it. You will try your hardest. And be the best you can. If he, if it doesn't work out that you get an incredible score, then don't worry about it. There's other ways to do things and it's going to be fine. So, um, uh, I still want to make my parents proud, though. So, I've, I've written down in my notes here, I've, I remember so clearly the day my the end of scores came out, and I'm, I'm sure you guys might too, because you guys did pretty well. But um, the end of scores came out and i got the text message but i was so asleep i had been drinking the night before and i didn't really care what my call was and mum ran into my room and said what is it what did you get what'd you get and it was around 70. that's what it was and i went oh I've got 70. Was you Are you happy with that i went what i don't know i don't even haven't even had a minute to think about it you do realize <laughs> She kind of went out of the room and I went back to sleep for a bit and then I woke up and I thought, all right, well, it's lower than I guess i would aimed for. So I just drove straight into the school careers counsellor and said, well, I can't remember her name, but I walked in and just said, can you please get me into a university that's close to home? Um, I feel like it's the right thing to do. Uh, which she said okay go drummers what do you want to do and she kind of gave me about six options uh, and journalism was one of them and i said yep cool i'll do that with the intention of writing about sport eventually and that is how i decided to go into journalism on on a whim at the last minute and lo and behold a couple weeks later whenever the offers came out i can't remember that um regime but we got into Swinburne. we went there and i thought this is the tips I love being at uni. This is me, um, <laughs> what, what do you mean? There's a bar open on campus all the time. Yes, it is great. I drank, I passed and I didn't really have a care in the world. Um, and that was uni for me and that's how I saw my three older siblings go, that's what I thought anyway. Well, they went through uni and partying and that was my turn and I just thought this was great. The thing with journalism was that if you weren't doing a whole heap of extra stuff on the side and trying to get your foot in the door with, or you know, you hand in as many pots of honey as you could in the journalism world, whether it be sport or whatever, you weren't doing enough. And I remember this kid so clearly, I still remember his name. He came up to me and said, his name was Tom Pollock, and he was a student res kid from the country. He goes, so how are you going with your blog? And i went, what? <laughs> he said, how are you going with your blog? He said, what blog? He goes, well, everyone in the class has a blog. I'm like, is yeah? that? He goes, yeah, I've been going to all the local footy games and writing about the local football. I? And I was like, no, nah, I haven't done that once. And, and then I went to myself, nor do I want to, like why would I, no thanks. I was happy just working, with my for my brother a couple of times a week, mm. um, and just getting by. And it, I was not, I was 18, 19. I didn't see why it was an issue for me to start. I want to say like you know start living my adult life before yeah, I felt Still like a I was teenager ready mate. Yeah, exactly. Before I was ready to start living my adult life. Um, so that's when I thought, okay, this clearly. I'm wasting my time here and I could potentially be wasting a lot of money here too.
3: And, and just um, to,
0: just to jump in quickly, like I, I think it's important to note that your, your story, I, I I'm guessing will resonate with a lot of people and um, there's parts of it that, you know, resonate with me in terms of the um the being so focused on getting a good A task score and how much that can really muck with your perception on on how you've done at say school or anything when you're always comparing yourself to other people. Um, if they do better than you, then you kind of feel really bad about yourself, and that's not a good thing, even though you might have done well. Um, but I'm interested to to point out that you say that you know i wasn't ready to, to go and do the blog and do all those things that are you know my adult life but because other people that that doesn't necessarily mean that the other people that were doing that stuff and really interested in that stuff that, that that's a bad thing it's just that they were really 100%. interested in that and i think this is a conduit that helped you realize that actually i'm not interested in that and that's fine and the people that are interested yeah. in that that's cool too but i'm going to go and find out what
3: i am interested oh, I in. Kinda, that
2: i was kind of sitting back going. oh all power to you, man. You clearly, you clearly want to be a sports journalist. I thought I did. I thought I did. Mm. But you, you really want this. And I clearly did not really want that. So um, as a result, I just deferred my course with the intention of potentially getting into something else. Um, that's why I didn't completely drop out. I thought, oh, well, I'll just defer. We'll just see what happens. Um Maybe I'll change my mind. I'll just go work for Joey, my brother, for a few weeks. In a few weeks turned into quickly buy a Ute that you can fit a lawnmower in the back of. <laughs> um, and then I just went around mowing lawns uh, on occasion. I'd help him. We do concrete pours. We do landscaping. And I really liked the trade life. You know, I has um, uh, you know kind of cliche. Being, you know, living the trading life, it's it sounds ridiculous but it's it's a thing and, and a lot of people are en- envious of it. Um and the uh you know the crisp the crisp cold mornings end up in the sunny days and getting home at three thirty, four o'clock it, you know it, it really does have its moment. Uh so that's good. But um I kinda told my parents, I'm gonna work for my for Joseph and get him to put me through put me through the ringer for six months. So we'd work in the summer to like eight o'clock at night pushing the mower just
1: because the sun was up and lawns, lawns need to be mowed mate.
2: And I didn't give a shit. I was getting paid hourly, man. I didn't care. He was like, let's do one more. Let's do one more. And then it got to a stage, obviously I'd get frustrated. I, like, I don't want to do any more, but you know, he paid me. And sometimes it'd, it'd be like, Oh, I can't pay you for two weeks. And it, it just was better for me. I just got paid a bog lump sum of money when I was like 19, 20 years old what am I going to do with money at that? You know what I mean? On, I on,
0: liking- that, on that part now, I would imagine that going back to your, uh, you know, shadowing that lawyer example, if you were asked to sit in a law firm doing documents until 8am and someone keeps saying, you know, just do another one. I'll pay you. I would imagine that the response was, would have been quite different. So would, would, it, would it be safe to say that you'd found something that you were actually getting a bit of fulfillment yep. out now and that, that started to to start that
3: train of thinking? Yep.
2: Correct, and it was the, it was the physical uh, energy output. Um, the youngest of four kids, I am very loud, very, uh, you know, rambunctious, I guess, is the word. Like, i never sat still as a kid, and I'm the same now. Um, so doing being out using my hands and my feet all day just seems like the right thing to do. So then um, once uh, I'd worked for Joseph, I kind of thought, well, I, I need to choose a trade. That's what I need to do. Is my, I'm destined to do a trade. That's, that's what I think is going to be the best thing for me to do. And then I sat back and I thought about this very, very carefully. And this is kind of the first time in my life I think, where I actually thought about making a good decision, really, you know what I mean? And you sit back and you go, okay, I could be a sparky. Yep. Electricians earn good money. It's very light work in comparison to other trades. Um, so that, that's an option, but limited, limited in uh, your, your creativity, very limited in your creativity. Um, and also you don't learn as much of other trades just being an electrician, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, the other one was a plumber. And initially I thought, well, they also earn good money. But you can't chew your fingernails, and you spend a lot of time digging holes. Um, and But that was also an option. And then I thought, hm, carpentry, and this was like the light bulb went off for me, and I was like, well, you get to see the fulfillment of seeing the structure built is the mo- is what I get out of it. That's why I do what I do now. Um, and that's why I'm always getting emotional. That's why I love what I do. You know what I mean? Like... I just finished like this ridiculous, stupid roof that the architect wanted to build. But then you sit back and you go, oh, well, I built that. I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know yeah, what I mean? it's tangible. Um, you, can, you see it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it creates happiness. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go and do carpentry. So from there, I enrolled in a pre-apprenticeship, and it was the start what's it been, the start of 2013. Yeah we, yeah, we finished in 2011. Yeah, so the start of 2013. Um did a pre-apprenticeship, my brother, who, you know, kind of, I built a bridge with him and he was happy for me to go and do this. Um, he bought me a hammer and a level for Christmas that year. And from then, now I'm still using the same hammer. And I went and did my pre-apprenticeship at Holmes Glen Tate. Um, so what's, what's a pre-apprenticeship?
0: Can you walk us through that kind of setup? And it's not as if you can just rock up to you know, a carpenter's office and say, can I have a job? What, what, what's the qualification system like as opposed to, you know, I think a lot of people listening will, will understand loosely what an undergraduate course is at uni and then you can go on into a right. grad program or whatever. What's the pre-apprenticeship? What's the apprenticeship and how do, how do you then get a job out of that?
2: A pre-apprenticeship is essentially you can do it in VET or VTEL in year 12, uh, in year 11, I think. So if you do it in year 11 and 12, it's just because you only do it once a week. Or whatever it might be, um, it takes a longer period of time. So you basically do uh, a series of skills, and it's basically preparation to get you on a job site, so that when you go on a job site, you don't know what you know. A screwdriver doesn't, you know, you know what it looks like, and Mm -hmm. you know where to get. Literally the basics: how to use a tape measure, how, and and it was as simple and mundane as that on the first day. I remember like it was yesterday.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: and you learn basic hand tool skills and that kind of thing. Um, and that I think was, it was like 1200 bucks that course. And I was like, well, this seems like a bit of money well spent, but it was also 1200 bucks and six months long and it's 7.30 to 4 every day, five days a week. So this, if you thought, yeah, I could be a tradie, if you got through that, in my in my opinion as well, you could get there on time and do that, and you weren't even getting paid a penny. Then mm. clearly something's going right, and you wanted you're happy to give up that amount of time and pay for that. Then, um, yeah, so you'd go and do that, um, and that was good.
0: So, just for a bit of context as well, um, when, and I understand a little bit about this because my brother's kind of going through the process at the moment, but um, you you get your pre apprenticeship. You don't have to do a pre apprenticeship to get an apprenticeship. Um, but basically, you go through this kind of six month ish course um, to get the basics. And then it's kind of on you to go out and find Correct. a builder, that, oh, sorry, a, a carpenter that will take you under their wing to have, yes. uh, you know, a three or four year period where you go through an apprenticeship.
2: Correct. That's exactly right. So they kind of drum into you, the teachers drum into you in your pre-apprenticeship, you know, put some feelers out there, um, maybe go to a couple of job sites, ask if you can push a broom for a couple of days and have a look at what's going on. And that was literally it. And then um, other builders may come in to the case and say, um, I need an apprentice, and then I want a day or two. I'll put my hand up straight away.
0: It's kind of, I think people that have a network or know some family friends that know a builder or something like that, putting the feelers out is, you know, that's fine. But say someone is coming through year 12 now and thinking about going to a pre-apprenticeship and whatnot, but doesn't know anyone. What are some strategies that they could uh, employ to go and, as you said, like rocking up to a building site and just asking to push a room around might be one. That's a
2: hundred percent. That is one. Um, Builders love if you have a um, strong desire to learn. They don't care about your ability as such. If you are there and you really want to learn, then they can't, you know, take that away from you. You know,
3: that attitude. And
2: that's right. And the other thing is punctuality. Um, if if someone, a young guy, came up to one of our job sites and my boss was there, and say, "How are you going?" present yourself well not like a drop kick walk up you know shake your hand firmly and say my name is this I'm looking at doing a trade I actually don't know if I want to do it would you be able to give me a couple of days I'm happy to do it unpaid um, for one or two days there's no way they would say no how can they say no to a set of hands for free for a couple of days, and quickly, if they see um your desire to want to be there and your desire to put in the work, then this you know the stepping stone is basically set and um and from there you can you can kind of move up and and yeah but it, um even phone calls are also good um text messages and emails I think are very um i don't know. There's a lot, of, a lot of people's skills involved in being on a job site mm-hmm. and you're talking to each other a lot of time and confidence comes with being able to just pick up the phone and say, he- here I am. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, obviously level above is going and putting face-to-face. So I think phone calls and uh, face-to-face meeting is 100% what you need to do. I was-
1: on that, like what advice would you have for a, a student who's currently at school, who's thinking about doing um, building and maybe wants to learn a bit more about the industry or um, is thinking about trying to secure an apprenticeship with someone like Dick?
2: Trying to expose yourself in the field as much as possible. Um, if you don't know anyone, which I sometimes find hard to believe because there's that many traders and builders out there at the moment, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but if you don't, you really, job sites that you walk past just knock on the door.
3: And
0: with, Go in there. with with that partner I think you're you're clearly someone who kind of rumbunctious and keen came to talk to people yeah. and we've always known you as the person that is you know the life of the party and the center of the circle in terms of people talking so it it seems like it comes quite naturally to you but um for speaking as someone who i guess you know when I was growing up I was a bit more introverted than extroverted it was quite hard to put myself out there and I think yeah um being a bit of a i don't know in that case about getting better at stuff some things that i tried to do to practice this stuff was when i was younger is you know go into a cafe or if you're going to a shop or whatever where you would have a normal interaction with someone it's you know ask a couple more questions in that interaction just to practice talking to someone that you don't know um even at school or at uni or whoever a mate's um parents something like that just just practice being a better conversationalist and that'll give you a bit Mm. more Confidence to, as you say, go up to a random web, uh, sorry, web uh, work, work site and, and talk to someone that you don't know.
2: Yeah, well, say nothing. You d- you don't get good at anything without practice, and like you you can, you can practice your personal skills. Um, I feel like in day to day life, quite simply, yeah. um, someone that doesn't want to go on find out more about trade. You, I sounds a bit ridiculous, but watching. Watching TV shows like Grand Designs, that was like, I felt like all I did in school holidays a lot of the time, Mm. sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, The Block, um, all different kinds of shows like that. And you see how things get done. And, you know, now I see what they do there and think about how they could be doing it so much better and so much more efficiently. But that's just me. They're obviously inexperienced home renovators. But... um, Watching shows like that would, would help as well. Um, mm. if you know, if you're not too keen on putting yourself out there on a job site. But ultimately I would say um it's the easiest way to get your foot mm. in the door. So the easiest way for you to do that would be practice your personal skills before you rock up to a job site. But yeah.
0: Man, I think you've given us a really good wrap of, you know, one what a carpenter does and, and what they do day to day and your journey um to, to where you kind of are now. But before we I've got a couple of questions I want to wrap up on in, in a sec, but let's take a sec to understand kind of where you're at in that carpentry apprenticeship phase and I understand you're, you're, you're offered or you you you're off it or or you've been qualified for a little bit now. What's the next step for someone that you said, you know, wants to start earning millions instead of thousands? What do you do about Yeah.
2: That? Um- so, someone like me, you really need to. I never see uh, Yeah, you want to upskill um, as much as you can, which sometimes can be difficult. But different agencies, like Master Builders Association of Victoria and stuff like that, offer diplomas uh, and certificate fours in building construction, and they will give you a much broader knowledge of what goes on behind the scenes um, before homes get built or buildings get built or whatever it may be. Um, So as soon as I finished my apprenticeship, I enrolled in a certificate for building construction in BAV, as you mentioned earlier. Um, And that was an extensive course. I think that was, um, that might have been a year or six months. Uh, And that was intense. That was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. The first module was estimating principles and the folder was the most cumbersome thing I've ever seen. I am into it up my eyeball, you know, to my eyeball, eyeballs.
0: But What's um, the premise of this Cert for that you're doing? Is it, is it learning so more about the business side of things or?
2: Yeah. So they'll teach you legal obligations of a builder uh, and different um, safety uh, measures that you need to put in place. So this was essentially you do this uh, to prepare yourself to one day become a builder. Um, and I did it when I was really young. So I'll probably have to do different little refresher courses. Um, that's probably my next step. Um, so, so, yeah, this is, that's what you want to do if you want to go and become a builder. Like, sure, if you love carpentry and you're happy in your carpentry bubble, the issue is that is you, the earning capacity is, is limited. There's a, there's a cap to it essentially because, you know, you pay can only increase so much because then eventually at the end of the day, you're still just a carpenter. You haven't bettered yourself enough to warrant, you know, being paid more money. So I sat back and said, I want to be a builder one day. I want to do what Dick's doing. So that's why I did my certificate four. With that, you don't have to complete a cert four. It's just beneficial uh, for your own knowledge. So if you want to become a builder now, you can do it just on three years experience. A qualified experience in the field so I have that now um, and the next step for me uh, with my boss's assistance is um, putting together a portfolio of all the jobs that I have run from the start to finish uh, to outline to the the, uh, the committee that I'm uh, able to undertake these practices uh, without help. Essentially,
0: and that's another um, thing, right? Like when you actually become a, a is it registered builder or a qualified builder, um, registered, yeah, registered. You need to essentially go in front of a standing committee and and put yeah. your case forward to them.
2: So you go, and you sit in front of a, um, I think it's a, a panel of five, and they basically grill you. So I'm a carpenter and have been for what am I seven years, well, even more, eight years now, um, and. They will not ask me one question about carpentry. They'll sit there and say, okay, talking about home warranty, uh, homeowners' warranty insurance, tell me what yours is, tell me what you need, talking about, talk about your public liability uh, so needs. The,
1: the questions uh, are much more commercially geared.
2: Oh, yeah, because they get guys going in there that go, yeah, I can slap frame uh, in two days. And they're like, okay, great. So what happens if an old lady walks past your job site and trips over? Mm. Oh, I don't know. Right.
0: It's the running the business side of things and, and being more cognizant yeah. of just the, just the skill, but how the whole operation comes together and, and what you're really liable for, I guess. Oh, mate, it sounds like a very, um. once you get into the industry, it sounds like one that is really built on, as you said, trust and, and loyalty. And if you work hard and are a good person to to other people, then they will reciprocate that down the line when any when of you need that. Um, mate, just before you wrap up, I think we've gone, we've touched on a lot, and I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot of things from that. But um, to to put it simply, and this might be putting you on the spot a bit, but if you had, you know, a billboard where you could put one thing that, that thousands or, or, or millions of young people in high school could see as a bit of advice, um, what what would you really say to them in terms of decision making and and not taking on? Um, what other people tell them they have to be thinking about what what should really be the thing that's driving decisions for young people.
2: Uh, a, a, a little motto: Comparison is the thief of joy. Um, do not compare yourself to anyone else when you are looking to enter the workforce. You see your mates want to become lawyers or work in commerce, and you may sit back and I just want to be a personal trainer. Don't compare yourself to them. Let your Let yourself and you know, um, find your natural path. It's and and I implore people to not stress about not knowing what they want to do when at the age of 16 or 17 or 18 because it's really not fair that those kinds of pressures are put on people, um, at such a young age, uh, especially in you know the current world we live in where mental ill health is more prominent than ever and now we want to throw another spanner in their works and say, well, if you don't know what you want to do, then you're in trouble. That's not the case at all. I would say comparison is a thief of joy. So just think about, or sorry, not worry about what others around you are doing and let yourself, you know, I guess take your natural progression and, um, and find your career in that manner.
1: I think that's really good advice, Pano. I think that, um, just, just to recap for everyone that, we sh- life isn't a competition and um, we should focus on the things that are important to us and to to make sure that what we're doing, we're enjoying and, and not compare that to anyone else. Correct. 100%. So, Nick, I'd just like, like to thank you for coming on the show today. We've um really enjoyed learning about carpentry and look forward to seeing you pro- hopefully building a house soon.
2: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you.